Hey there. Hey, Josh. Welcome back to Accelerated Investor. I've got a great interview for you today with Stuart Beal. This is fun. I had a great time interviewing him on a number of different subjects. Stuart is a serial entrepreneur who currently manages 500 units of residential and multifamily and commercial real estate. He's also done seven large syndications and has raised over $135 million for those syndications and is a 20% owner in over 6,000 units. But you're also going to find that Stuart is very relatable, very much a down-home, like a guy, a buddy, like next door. So you're really going to love this interview. He focuses now really in his backyard within an hour of his office and his home, which is in the greater Ann Arbor, Michigan area. So he invests in Toledo, Detroit, Monroe, Dundee, in Ypsilanti, Michigan. He is a Michigan fan, which I am not, but we did get along during this interview. And he has structured a fund that we're going to talk about. So here's what you're going to learn on today's episode. Number one, you're going to hear about Stewart's fund structure. They're raising $10 million to buy $35 million worth of multifamily real estate. You're going to hear why he specifically focused on 20 to 100 unit properties in tertiary markets, specifically C class and B minus class assets, and why that's been a big money maker for him. You're also going to find number two, the five strategies that Stuart uses to acquire off market multifamily and commercial apartments. That's a really good part of this interview is the five strategies to acquire deals. You're also going to hear the story number three about how he started a landscaping business when he was 13 years old and sold it when he was 19 years old for $250,000. That's what launched his investing career. Number four, why you should invest. Stuart explains why you should invest and start with a five to 10 unit multifamily property. And I think this is really good advice. You're going to like that piece. And finally, we're going to discuss why property management can't be a side hustle, why you need to hire professional property management, right? And not do it as a mom and pop, right? Don't do property management, hire professional property management. You're going to love this interview on Accelerated Investor with Stuart Beal. Here we go. Welcome to the Accelerated Investor Podcast with Josh Cantwell. If you're looking to retire early with forever passive income, you're in the right place. This podcast is the go-to destination for real estate investors, both active and passive, and multifamily apartment investors, both new, intermediate, and advanced. Now, sit back, listen, learn, and accelerate your business, your life, and your investing with the Accelerated Investor Podcast. So, hey, Stuart, listen, thanks so much for joining me today on Accelerated Investor. How's things going today? Oh, I'm having a great day. Nice, nice. So, listen, Stuart, so happy to have you on because I've done a ton of stuff. I mean, managing 500 properties, seven huge syndications, 6,000 units, but it's the start of a new year, 2022. So, Tell us a little bit about what you're working on right now, like as we record this, and what are you expecting your 2022 year to look like? 
Yeah. Okay, great. So we launched Beal Fund 2 at BealCapital.com on January 1st, and we're raising $10 million to invest in about $35 million worth of real estate within one hour drive of my house. I live in Ypsilanti, Michigan, which is next to Ann Arbor. So while a one hour drive seems small, it actually spans over 100 cities. And so there's plenty of opportunity. And today I spent the morning evaluating an appraisal for a 20 unit in a very small city called Brooklyn, Michigan, that we're buying for $1.4 million. And it appraised well. And so we are a go to close on January 31st. And investors can invest in that deal today through the fund. But that's uh, that's the primary thing I'm working on in 2022. And then the secondary thing, equally important, is I run a property management business. If you buy a property anywhere in the state of Michigan, you can hire us and we'll manage it. We have experience on managing uh, anywhere from single-family homes to the largest property we managed until it was sold was a 468-unit apartment complex. So we we run the gamut between those size properties and different size properties have different strategies, and we're very good at developing a per-property strategy for your investment. And so we're expanding that business as well. I love it. I love it. So. When you talk about Beal Capital, help me break that down a little bit. You've done a lot of syndications, raised a lot of money, $130 million in the past, this new venture. So it sounds like you're sourcing properties for your own portfolio, buying those within $35 million within an hour. The $10 million you're going to raise in the fund, help me understand the structure. How does that deal get closed and what does it look like? Yeah. Okay, great. So Beal Capital is new. This is our second fund. I have done six other real estate syndications through a different group where I was a partner. Now I'm doing it by myself. And so Beal Capital is new. This is our second fund, though. We did one uh, last year. And we have three staff members and we have a director of acquisitions. We have a director of asset management. Then we have myself and then we have an office assistant. And we analyze every deal that crosses our desk of a certain size. And so at the size of our fund, raising $10 million and investing in $35 million, we're looking for mid-size to uh, large apartment complexes. So anywhere from the 20 unit, which will be the smallest deal that we do in the fund, up to we bid on a 102 unit last week. So anywhere from 20 to 102 units is what we're, you know, 120 units, something like that, Got is it. what we're targeting. And we go after class C or class B in tertiary markets. So we're not going to downtown Ann Arbor. We're not going to downtown Cleveland, not downtown Detroit. But we are buying properties in cities like Monroe, Michigan, Dundee, Michigan, Brooklyn, Michigan, Ypsilanti, Michigan. They have strong employment centers. They might have a uh, university, but they're not that hot market. And that allows us more control of the deal, more control of the selling process because we're not competing against 15 people like we're doing on some other things. So I I invested in a real estate syndication myself uh, based out of the Carolinas. And there were 27 bidders on a property (laughs) that they actually bought. So what does that mean when you beat out 27 other people for a a property? Uh, Well, well, that means you paid a very high price. So we we try to avoid that. Yeah, we, we try to avoid that at Beal Capital 
by doing off-market deals in secondary or tertiary markets. But the 20 unit, okay, so the 20 unit is an off-market deal. The way that came to us is I held a real estate event that a broker attended. And the broker was very inspired about what we were doing. And he said, Stuart, I'm going to go find you a deal. And uh, I don't know how this happened, but just seven days later or eight days later or something, he presents this deal. And we go check it out and we discover that it's exactly what we're looking for. It's in a small town close to our office. And the owner has personally babied this property under his ownership for 20 years. So, uh, you know, it has, it has brand new boilers, a brand new hot water tanks. Units are very nice. And so it's 100% occupied, but the rents are, are low. And so there's some uh, value add strategy that we'll do there. Got it. So the fund structure, do the investors limited partners actually invest in the fund? And then the fund owns equity in this deal? Like, is the 20 unit going to be bought in its own LLC, like a special purpose LLC? And then the fund is going to own a certain percentage of the equity of that deal. So the fund investors are going to own chunks of all these other deals that you own. Is that is that the structure? Do I have that right? Yeah. So this is a new fund. So there's no properties in it yet, but it's designed as a blind pool. So if you invest today, uh, you won't know what properties you're going to own, but you're going to you're going to know that we're you're going to own class C to class B mid-size apartment buildings within an hour of uh, sure. Ann Arbor, Ypsilanti, Michigan. You're basically hiring and, a manager like you to manage the fund. You're par- parking that, grand, 500 grand, whatever it is in the fund. That's correct. Of knowing the strategy, but not necessarily the, the specific deals because the deals you're going to, you're going to vet those out over the next 12 months and pl- right. plunk them down. Okay. Got it. Right. And so, so Beal Capital sponsors the fund. The fund is called Beal Fund 1 LP out of Delaware. And then underneath that fund will be the LLCs that hold the individual properties. And so this property is 207 Water in Brooklyn. So it's going to be 207 Water LLC. And you invest in the fund. And then we put your money to work on the individual properties as we buy them. And so 12 months from now, you will own uh, 207 Water in Brooklyn, Michigan. And you'll also own uh, seven, eight, nine, ten different properties, depending on the size. You set that up, Stuart, as a close ended. So by the end of 2022, you'll close that out. Just yeah, in, it's it, for tax it, purposes. It, is it easier that way? Yeah, it's. Uh, we never want it to cross three years, but we do allow it to cross into a second year. So mm-hmm. if if we either fail to close the properties or fail to raise the money in 2022, we'll finish it up in early 2023. Got it. Love it. That's fantastic stuff. So the money-making strategy of buying it, putting the money in the fund, what kind of additional credibility do you think that builds for you when you're the buyer? And you can tell investors, that, well, you can tell the seller, hey, I've got this fund and the fund already has X amount of cash in it. So we're very qualified. We're very credible. We can, of course, qualify for loans as well. But did you set up the fund specifically so that you had kind of the capital before the deal and use that as a competitive advantage? Yeah. So the fund is based on my 20 years of experience in real estate. I've personally completed over 500 transactions over the last 20 years, ranging in size from I bought single family. The largest property I bought was a 468 unit. I bought about 10 to 15 apartment complexes of 
200 units and more through our syndication. So investors recognize me as someone who has the experience to do what we're doing. And also I have the lending experience, the insurance experience, the property management experience to do it. So while this fund will just be six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 properties, depending on the size, it's based on a, a career, uh, 20 years in the making. And so uh, again, an investor would say, you know, why would I invest in you? You don't even know what properties you're going to buy yet. <laughs> I would give them a long list of, of properties I've bought in the past and say that the properties we're going to buy with your investment is quite similar to what we've done in the past. Yeah. Do you think that gives you a competitive advantage in a very competitive market right now? I realize you said you're in Michigan and it's not as competitive maybe as Houston or Dallas-Fort Worth or Tampa or Arizona. But the world right now is very competitive because there's so much stimulus or so much money in the economy. And obviously, a lot of eyeballs have gone toward multifamily. Multifamily did really well in COVID. It's kind of a darling asset. So there just seems to be a lot of competition there. Do you think having a fund that's already pre-populated with cash and being able to tell sellers and brokers, hey, I've got this fund, we've got the cash. Do you think that gives you a competitive advantage? Or do you feel like, hey, man, everybody seems to have money these days. We're kind of in a big pool of a lot of qualified buyers. Yeah. So I've worked with a long list of different sellers. I do best with the 70-year-old man who has managed the property for 30 years himself. Mm -hmm. And his kids have moved to the coasts and the south, and they express no interest in continuing to manage the property. And since they uh, have managed it themselves for 30 years, they can't bear to uh, hire a property manager. Mm -hmm. That's not even a thought. And they want to retire. And so they are very receptive to my off-market strategies to build a relationship with them and to sell to me. That's how the 20 unit in Brooklyn came together. And then the last property in our uh, first fund was a 24 unit Romulus right next to the Detroit Metro Airport. Same thing. I sat in uh, this 70 year old man's garage for an hour and a half negotiating the purchase price. And so that's who I do my best work with. And they don't ask me if I have the money. That's never been asked. And I've done it a hundred times. I think I just come off as trustworthy and they just trust that I do. Now, I do also buy from very sophisticated sellers and they ask for proof of the money. And we have what's called proof of funds letters that we have our banker write. And he, and he just writes a quick letter saying, Stuart Beal has this money in the bank accounts that he controls. And then we present that to the sophisticated sellers and that gives them comfort as well. I've also sold properties myself and over half the time that I've gone to sell a class C property, it hasn't sold on the first go around because the seller was not qualified. And despite our efforts to qualify them, there's so many people out here trying to buy properties right now and so many are not qualified that it's a, it's a risk. And so you raise a valid point. So when I've gone to sell, I've had trouble sometimes. Uh, when I go to buy, I bring my best foot forward and, and use my experience and our resources and our investors, which are really important, to convince the seller to sell to us. You know? Got it. How, how do you get your foot in the door? Is there any special secret sauce that you use to get your foot in the door with off-market deals? And the reason why I ask is, 
you know, I've got great relationships with some massive brokers. You know, there's big brokers in a lot of big markets, the new marks, the CBREs, the Kramer and Kramers, the Marcus and Millichap guys, all that kind of stuff. They've gotten so sophisticated at marketing, selling, uh, building relationships with sellers that I think a lot of multifamily investors have just said, hey, I'm just going to rely on the brokers to bring me deals. We do both. We buy both on market and off market with brokers and without. Is there any secret sauce or silver bullets that you use to find these deals before the brokers build the relationship? Yeah. So we use five uh, strategies to acquire real estate. The first one is social media marketing and networking. So if you follow me on social media, I post a couple times a day about real estate related matters. You'll quickly realize, wow, he must be getting some pretty good leads based off that social media. And it's true. More than one lead per day comes into my Facebook messenger or LinkedIn, LinkedIn direct message from a, a seller. Now, of course, a lot of them are not helpful. They need you need to weed through them and find out what you're looking for. But the first strategy we use is social media that brings in a lot of off market leads. The second thing we do is we write letters. Now, I you know if you read a real estate book or you join a real estate Facebook group, you'll you'll hear about letters all the time. We write letters that have a high rate of success because they're very targeted. I'll go to a property, I'll tour it, and then I'll write a letter saying I want to buy the property and also tell them about their property at the same time. So they know that like... You describe it actually in the letter? Yeah, exactly. So they, personal. That's awesome. I've never yeah. heard somebody say that before. Yeah. So they know that I've been to the property and actually know what I'm know what I'm talking about. And a lot of times they don't manage the property. And so sometimes I'm like, hey, I noticed this huge crack in the wall and they don't even know the crack exists. And they, they you know, they connect, they connect with it. But most of the time, it's like a friendly thing. It's not like, hey, your property's run down. It's, uh, it's uh, yeah. this is what I like about your property. And uh, that, I think, increases the uh, return on those letters a lot. And it's funny, uh, I posted on Facebook a few weeks back that I got a call three days after I put the letter in the mail on a property on Michigan Avenue in Ypsilanti. It's a trucking facility. And the trucking facility for years has been super bustling, and super busy. And I drove by, not a single truck to be seen. It's a very attractive property near a property I own. So I dropped a letter in the mail to the to the owner of the trucking facility saying, hey, if, if you're interested in saying, you know, hey, I noticed your trucking facility is closed. If you're interested in selling, call me. And he called me uh, three business days after I put the letter in the mail. Yeah. So yeah, so letters work. And then the the third strategy is uh, brokers. We work with brokers very closely, and brokers bring us the deal before they even sign the agreement. You know, they say that got this deal coming, and here's what it is. So that that's good. And then number four is uh, we buy on straight on market deals. No problem. I'm not af- I'm not afraid of competition. I prefer not to have it, but you know, I'm not afraid of it. And what we do is we, in addition to making an offer on the property. We'll often put a story with our offer. Maybe we'll put together a PowerPoint presentation, uh, something that gives us, if a guy's looking at five offers, gives us a little something extra to look at. Yeah. So those are the strategies we use right now. Yeah. I love it. That's great stuff, man. The fund structure, some of these strategies to acquire deals are great. Stuart, let's, let's back up a little bit to your start. You have a lot of success now. You've raised a lot of money. 
property management, 500 doors, 6,000 units, seven big syndications. It probably always wasn't that way, right? Didn't have the reputation that you have now. You started from somewhere. So tell us a little bit about that. What was it like 19 years ago when you first got going? What were some of the early challenges that you faced? But how'd you overcome those? Yeah, so I, I started when I was 13, just mowing my neighbor's lawns. Then when I was 16, I got a car and I expanded the business uh, for my neighborhood. It was called uh, Burns Park Lawn Care and Landscaping, which was the neighborhood I grew up in, Burns Park in Ann Arbor. And then when I was 19, I actually sold that business for $250,000. And it was $50,000 down and $1,482 a month for 10 years uh, was the the deal that I structured. And uh, those are approximate numbers. But so what I got is I got $50,000 in my bank account and $1,482 coming per month. And what that allowed me to do is not have to get a job doing something I didn't want to do. I could do what I wanted to do, which was invest in real estate. And I did the first deal I ever did was a five unit on Eastern Michigan University campus because I was going to Eastern Michigan and I needed a place to live. And I did what I call a glorified house hack. I bought a five unit that had four occupied units and one vacant unit. And so I I moved into that vacant unit and I was the landlord of this uh, five unit property. And the challenges were immense. They were comical. You know, 20 years later, they were scary. You know, they were exciting. But the the first story I tell of my property management career is I lived in apartment four and apartment two below me said that there was a dog barking in apartment one. And I said, there couldn't be a dog barking in apartment one. The woman who lives in apartment one, she's on vacation for a month. She told me that she would pay me the rent when she got back from vacation. There couldn't be a dog in her apartment. And uh, so they said, okay, we must be not understanding where this barking is coming from. Maybe it's in apartment three or whatever. But then a week later, they were like, Stuart, no, there's definitely a dog in apartment one. I said, there can't possibly be a dog in apartment one because she's on vacation for a month. Yeah. They're like, no, it's, it's definitely there. You got to check it out. So it was a different entrance. I went around the property to the, the different entrance. I walked in to the hallway and the door was going pop, 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 pop. I'm like, oh my God, there's a, there's a dog in there. So I key in and the resident had dumped a 50 pound bag of dog food on her living room floor and left her kitchen, left her kitchen water on. So the dog could hop up on the counter and and lap the the water and went on, went on vacation for a month. Uh, Holy shoot. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And so there was more, there was more dog poop on the floor than carpeting and the, you know, the food was all over. And uh, yeah, so that that was my first uh, on-the-job landlording experience. <laughs> well, she got back and never paid rent again, and so that was my first eviction as well. <laughs> yeah. Oh my! Because you went on vacation. Like when you get home, she's already got to know she's not going to pay. She's going to just take the dog and leave. Well, so she left behind. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I took the dog to the Humane Society because I couldn't get a hold of her. And uh, so when she got back, I let her know that she could pick up her dog at the Humane Society. She could explain her story to them. Yeah. But then she never, yeah, she never paid rent ever again. And she was delinquent before she went on vacation, you know, to sure. only, only on the property. Money for vacation. She couldn't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, people, I mean, if you're in property management long enough, you'll realize that people use their money for 
what they want to use it for. You oh, know? Yeah. yeah. So, so, so yeah, so that's, you know, I've got a hundred stories like that, but that was my first experience as a landlord. And I learned a lot uh, managing this five unit and it gave me confidence a year later to go buy a 30 unit. And I didn't have a hundred percent of the capital necessary to buy this 30 unit. So that was my first uh, time taking on an investor. And then I just bought a property a year until the foreclosure crisis. And then in the foreclosure crisis, I bought a property a month. So I bought 50 properties through the foreclosure crisis, one property a month. Are you ready to automate and explode your real estate investing? We're searching for extremely motivated individuals who are sick and tired of wasting time and want to finally see real results from their real estate investing business. We're searching for investors looking to get to the next level and become a bigger, better version of themselves while being a more successful real estate investing entrepreneur. Apply for mentoring and coaching at joshcantwellcoaching.com forward slash podcast. That's joshcantwellcoaching.com forward slash podcast. How did you manage that, Stuart? I'm curious during the crisis because we were investing in the crisis as well. I was not in commercial real estate at that time. We were doing a ton of wholesaling actually and a lot of short sales. So we weren't owning many properties, but it was really tough to navigate. I mean, Cleveland, Detroit, I mean, frankly, the whole country. But as you know, like Arizona, Florida, California, Michigan were four or five of the worst states as far as number of foreclosures, property decline, as far as pricing goes, those types of things. What did you do to make it through that and succeed? You started buying more properties, not less, but also property values probably became very tough to comp out and find out what are these things really worth? So help help us understand how you navigated that uh, that couple of years. Yeah, so people forget, and in the state of Michigan, the foreclosure crisis lasted seven years, really. Okay, so it started in two thousand eight, and things were going down, 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 down until two thousand eleven. Only till two thousand twelve did things start like making sense again, and then it really lasted till two thousand fifteen where prices were finally making sense on traditional metrics like construction cost, some other things like that. Mm-hmm. So in 2008, what happened is I live in a, a very small city. It has a university called Eastern Michigan University, but it's mm-hmm. this population of only 20,000. Uh, I'm, 20, no, I'm familiar because when I was in high school, I played basketball at Padua Franciscan. Okay. It was a little dude from the city. His name was Earl Boykins. Yes, exactly. Michigan. And Earl and I were in the same class. So I played against Earl in high school for four years. Freshman year, when he walked into the gym, he couldn't have been more than 75 or 80 pounds, had his socks pulled up to his knees. And we're like, who is this little dude? Well, he just ripped us up. We ended up (laughs) beating him both times as a freshman. Then he played varsity. Then he played at Eastern Michigan, was an unbelievable college player. And then he played in the NBA. And I still see Earl in Cleveland once in a while. I actually go to church sometimes down at the cathedral where I was married. And Earl would go to church there. And I remember when I was a senior, Earl just killed us like 38 points. I mean, this dude was what, 5'5"? Maybe 5'5"? 
38 points in one game and 42 points in another. I think they went to the state final four. He was unbelievable. And at one point had the NBA record for scoring the most points in a single overtime. I think it was 15 points in a single overtime. I went to Eastern Michigan. So Earl Boyk is still in my, in my athletic nightmares from, from EU or EM. So anyway, yeah, I digress, but no. So what did you do then with understanding, like navigating this seven-year process, especially those first, like you said, those first four years or five years where nothing made sense? Yeah. So, so what happened was, I mean, the reason I was saying Ypsilanti is a small town is three landlords lost 75 properties to the banks in 2008. Mm. Uh, they signed up for adjustable rate mortgages in the craze of 2006. And they, they reset in 2008 as the foreclosure crisis hit. And Eastern Michigan University suffered uh, immensely in the foreclosure crisis because Eastern Michigan is what they call a commuter school. And the people that did live on campus, their parents only lived a half an hour away or 45 minutes away. Hmm. So when their parents said, hey, I'm losing my job or my income's being slashed, I can't support your college endeavors. Like, let's, how do we cut budget here? The students moved home, right? So they, they continued to go to Eastern, but they pulled out of these apartments, right? Got it. So in, in 2008, these landlords were saying, okay, my rate is going from 4% to 12% or whatever crazy thing they agreed to. Plus the rent's going down because we don't have people to rent to. The students are pulling out and they lost 75 properties uh, to the banks. So the banks put, 20, 30 properties on the market all at the same time. And I really appeared to be the only person who had cash at the time. And it was winter and the properties were foreclosed and, and they were badly winterized. So the banks started boarding them up and there were no tenants. And so what we did is my aunt, who is a real estate agent, I empowered her to make an offer on any property that hit the MLS the same day that it hit the MLS. And I told her to offer half of what the bank wanted. So okay. the bank the bank would put on the market a property that used to be worth 150. They would ask 75. I would offer 32.5 and they would very often accept my offer. Sure. Um, they declare that the the books. Yeah. And the, and the reason they would accept those offers is because the people considering the offers were looking at a list of a thousand properties that weren't selling. And then when they got an offer in their inbox, they're like, oh, wow, I, yeah. you know, I, I can get this one. I can get this one off my book. So they would accept they would accept my offer, and so I bought basically a property a month starting in two thousand eight for thirty six to forty months. And what we did is we bought the property with cash, we fixed it up with cash, and then we did a cash out refinance uh, to keep the money rolling. Sure. So to buy those fifty properties in the foreclosure crisis, I I really only used about a hundred thousand um, dollars. To buy fifty properties, uh, we would just keep it keep it rolling. And it worked really well for about three years. And then as we got into the fourth and fifth year, the appraisals started coming back even worse than ever before. And so my strategy fell apart at that point. The money got trapped in the properties that I had bought. Okay. And, so, and so that's why I actually started working with investors and doing sure. syndications for the first time is because my personal capital was tied back into the properties that I had bought in the foreclosure crisis, but the deals were still pretty good. Remember, because the foreclosure crisis was still going on and on and on. So that's why I started working through that because you were, you were, I imagine in investing for cash flow. you're buying these properties to rent them out, fix them up, rent them. 
You did the cash out refi when you could, as long as you could. And then they're cash flowing. So even if we're talking about, well, right now, like the market seems like it's overheated, are we headed for a recession? The answer is yes, the market is overheated and we're headed for a recession at some point. It's going gonna, it's gonna to come. So the question is, can you still make money in that market? The answer is if you invest for cash flow and the property is cash flowing, it's like owning a bond and a bond throws off a certain coupon and you make money off of buying a bond. Well, the value of the bond can go up and down in any day, any year, any month. But the cash flow that the bond throws off is always there. You only lose money if you sell the bond at a discount. You only lose money in real estate if you sell at the wrong time. If you have what we call a recapitalization event or a forced event, a lot of times it can happen through those arm loans that Stuart described or some sort of balloon that can happen with bridge loans and different types of exotic loans that can get you in trouble. So as long as you're making, giving yourself enough of a horizon to stabilize the buildings and refi and you keep a very low loan to value... You can make it through these things because the coupon, i.e. the cash flow, will allow you to weather any storm. And if the values are going up, I imagine now, Stuart, if you have those assets today, you could sell those for a fortune compared to what you bought them for. Because now, again, the market's better. So the value of that house, i.e. the bond, is worth more and more and more. At some point, that won't be the case. The market will adjust where every market's cyclical. The market will flatten out and go back down at some point. But again, I think the lesson I just took away from what, what Stuart said is, is the cash flow example, the cash flow case study of being able to operate in a really tough environment from 08 to 2012, but do it because he's investing for cash flow. Stuart, makes makes sense? Like, is, Do I have that right? Yeah. So the first property I ever bought in 2002 was worth 262000 And the rent uh, on the property on the day I bought it was about $3,200. Mm-hmm. And the property was worth about three hundred and forty thousand five years later in two thousand seven. The rent was maybe thirty five hundred dollars, thirty six hundred dollars a month. And then in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, two thousand ten, it dropped all the way from three hundred and forty thousand down to about a hundred thousand in the depth of the foreclosure crisis. So when I say a hundred thousand, I mean you could have bought a similar property for a hundred thousand. So that's why I'm saying that. And then. So in 2010, it's worth 100,000, and then today, 12 years later, it's worth my, probably 395. So it went, it went from 262 all the way down to 100, all the way up to 395. But the rent stayed almost the same the whole time. Oh wow! It uh, started at 3,200, went up to 3,500, maybe it went down to 3,000, maybe now it's 3,800. But based on comps and based on what these properties are trading for. It went from 262 down to 100 up to 395 today, basically. Yeah, exactly the bond description that I just gave. And yeah, look, I mean, it, the worst case with multifamily, or the last crisis of 08, which again was a debt crisis, the banks held all the debt. The debt was against certain assets, the asset values went down. So now the banks are over leveraged on the debt. The next crisis that we have is not going to be a debt crisis. It's actually going to be a currency crisis. In a currency crisis, you actually want to get out of the currency and get into hard assets. So we're going to have a crisis, but it's going to be a different type of crisis. In a debt crisis of 08 through 2012, actually started in 07, really 2010, 2011, a debt crisis, you don't want to own the asset. You want to move to cash. Okay, That's what people, if they had the foresight, that's what they would have done. In this next uh, crisis, 
You want to get out of cash because the cash keeps getting devalued every time our stupid ass government passes another stimulus law. It gets devalued, devalued, devalued. It's when there's a currency crisis, it's not about making money and losing money. In my opinion, I'm going down a rabbit hole here, so I'm going to stop in a second. But when there's a currency crisis, everybody loses. It's a matter of who can lose the least. Okay, remember that, my audience, when it happens, remember I said it. It's a matter of who loses the least. And the people who lose the least are the people that are going to be in hard assets that cash flow. Okay. So you have two different types of crisis here 2008, which Stuart just described. You have a new one that might be, is that is looming that eventually will happen. Two different things, two different types of crisis. But either way, if you own cash flowing assets, you can easily make it through the crisis. If you're flipping or wholesaling or building new construction, you're in deep doo doo. Right, deep, deep crud. So those are some lessons that we take away, Stuart. As we kind of uh, round third here, head for home. What other advice would you give our audience, or if you were mentoring someone yourself going into 2022, what kind of things are you doing, or what kind of advice would you pass along to help people, you know, succeed and do well in this market? Yeah. So right now, the market is very hot. The people that are listening to this podcast are very interested in investing in real estate. Uh, there's an extreme interest in investing in real estate. If you're on social media, if you follow the news, you know everyone wants to be a, a, a real estate investor. You know, and so that means that there's a lot of the folks chasing the the same deals. And so, what I advise new investors is to do a five unit, six unit, seven unit deal. The reason I advise people to do that is because, let's say there's a Facebook group called the Metro Detroit Facebook group. There's 10,000 members in there. They're all talking about investing in real estate. Well, most of those investors, let's say 9,500 of them, are qualified to do a deal of four units and less. They're 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 doing a 30-year fixed mortgage. Uh, They don't have multifamily experience. And so all those people are chasing the same four units and less. But if you're investing in a five unit, you need a commercial loan. You need a totally different type of underwriting from a bank. And uh, that will exclude 90% of the competition. And that bears out in what I do. I wanted to buy a single family home for my mother-in-law in Ypsilanti. And uh, I wanted to pay about 150000 And I lost multiple bidding wars of 20 different people bidding. But then I wanted to buy a four unit, uh, or excuse me, a five unit, where the price was not significantly different. It was about two hundred thousand or two hundred fifty thousand, and you know I was only one of two or three people bidding. That's great advice. Um, yeah, so that that's the first piece of advice, and then the the second piece of advice is the paralysis analysis. You know, if you're if you're a new investor and you're analyzing, you're putting it in the tools, you're putting it in the markets, but you never take that step. The saying is the the best time to invest in real estate is right now because that's the power of real estate. The, the sooner you invest, the longer you'll own the asset, the longer it will appreciate, the longer it will depreciate, the longer you'll get cash flow. So you need to do the deal. You need to do a deal. And so I talk to a lot of people, hey, Stuart, I want to invest in real estate or I'm a real estate investor. And I say, tell me about your first deal. And they say, well, I haven't done a first deal yet. I've been analyzing it for nine months or a year or 18 months. And I say, oh, you, no, you got to get in. And they say, well, the prices are too high right now. And I say, well, yeah, analyze five and pick the best one. 
and do that deal. I'm not saying buy every deal or buy that one deal. What I'm saying is do some analysis, weigh them against each other, and then get in the market and do the deal. Got it. That's another piece of advice. And then the third thing is property management. So property management can grind down the most positive, happy-go-lucky person on the face of the planet. It can, Ain't that it can ruin yeah, I mean, it can, it can ruin your life. I mean, honestly. So people call me and say, hey, I want to start a property management company or I want to invest in real estate and I want to be the property manager. And I say, do you like your life? And they're like, well, yeah, of course I like my life. I'm like, okay, do, do you want significant changes in your life? And they say, no, I don't want significant changes in my life. I, I like my life. I like how it is. I say, well, you can't be a property manager then and you can't invest in real estate where you're going to be the property manager. Because that changes everything, you know, and I'm not talking about buying a single family house, obviously buying a single family house and being the property manager is one thing. But once you're, you know, investing in apartments, you're going to be dealing with even the nicest apartments, you're going to be dealing with bed bugs, you're going to be dealing with vandalism, you're going to be dealing with murders, your tenants are going to pass away from old age or, or drug use, you're going to be dealing with the police. You're going to be dealing with very complicated maintenance problems. Like the other day, I had to dig 16 feet down to replace a sewer. And so you need to be prepared once you buy the property, who's going to actually do this work. And that's why at Beal Properties, we have had success signing up clients to hire us to manage 500 properties yeah. over the last couple of years is because doing the deal and buying the real estate is one thing, but who's going to manage it is my question. Yeah. So let me ask you one final question, Stuart, is why do you do property management when we both know how difficult it is, right? Because you just advise people, right, pretty much not to do it, but you're good at it and you're doing 500 units. So why the dichotomy between the advice and what you're actually doing? Like, help me understand the gap there. Yeah. So you need to treat property management the way police officers treat their job or surgeons treat their job. You can't go uh, do heart transplants all day and then come home and bring that with you into your house. You know, yeah. um, the same thing with a police officer. A police officer deals with twenty-one negative things all day. They have to have a mindset that that's their job, that's their work, and they're not going to bring that home to their family. I mean, because if you do, how are you going to be nice to your wife and your kids if you bring in all that baggage on your shoulders sure. uh, in into your house? So the way I learn to do it. And it took me many years to do it. I, I mean, I was so worried about that dog. I told you about, I yeah. actually cried about that dog, you know, because that's the natural human thing to do. And I was very worried about the woman, like, Oh my God, is she going to lose her dog? If I take this humane society, you know, all that. So, you know, it took me many years to learn it, but you just need to have a robotic mentality. Rents due on the first. Yeah. It's not due on the second. It's due on the first. No, you cannot play music that loud it says it in your lease you know and just have a robotic job approach to the property management and yeah. that way that way it mutes the negative things and allows the positive things to flow up so yesterday we rented uh, 11 apartments to uh, 36 afghanistan refugees they couldn't find housing in washington county they got together with this wonderful organization we work with and they came and they said this is what we want to do. And so we we put that really positive property management story together this week. And so that allows us to feel really positive about what we do while kind of 
muting out the negatives, so to speak. Got it. That's fantastic. Fantastic advice. I love the stories as well as far as being able to kind of compare. I've got a buddy of mine, a close friend of mine. I just talked to him this morning. He's an investor with me and he's a police officer and he works at Metro Hospital, which is the county hospital, right? So this is where the a lot of good people go, but also this is where the gangs go when someone gets stabbed and shot. And he's got to be able to leave that at work, right? When he comes home. And your analogy of property management is very much the same. I've had people die. I've had people have heart attacks. I've had people get shot on site. I had my own work van that my maintenance guy was in. This is not related to property management, but there was a random shooting on the freeway. And both of his nephews, who he should not have had my van on a Saturday, moving his personal effects for his nephews, but he, he did. And the van got shot up on the freeway. And both of his nephews got hit by bullets and ended up, right? So Stuart's point of stuff just happens. And you've got to be able to separate, okay, if you're going to be in property management, make that your profession. Don't do it as a side hustle because the side hustle is not fun. So Stuart, listen, this has been an absolute... I've had an absolute blast interviewing you today. I, reminiscing about the 08 crisis and how you managed it was fantastic. Earl Boykins brings back some nightmares for me. So I appreciate that. And lots of great advice here. So I'm sure our group, our listeners will want to connect with you on your website or social media, possibly become an investor with you, partner with you. Where can they connect with you online? Yeah. So it's uh, gobeal.com, G-O-B-E-A-L.com is our property management website. And then our investor website is bealcapital.com. And then I'm Stuart Beal. You can find me on uh, Facebook or LinkedIn. And I'm very active on those platforms. And you can send me a direct message you know, on either one of those platforms. And I'll get back to you uh, shortly. And I like doing calls with investors. So if you just have questions about real estate, or want to be an investor either way, or if you are investing on your own, but just need advice, I'd gladly give you a half an hour of my time. And so reach out and uh, I'll, I'll be glad to help with whatever you're working on. Fantastic stuff. Stuart, listen, thanks so much for joining me today on Accelerated Investor. I had a blast. All right, guys. Well, listen, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Stuart. I had a blast doing it. Stuart and I have some really fond memories of the 08, 09, 2010 crash, as well as memories and nightmares of Earl Boykins, which you guys heard about. Listen, I learned a lot from Stuart and had I took a, a lot of notes. And listen, guys, if you're looking to, to plug in to guys like Stuart, like my other guests, and be a part of a, a multifamily mastermind coaching program, partnering program, it's a shameless plug. But I'll tell you that we have over 40 members in our Forever Passive Income Mastermind. This ecosystem that I've built is made up of property managers, owner operators, active investors, acquisition specialists, insurance guys, lenders, and passive investors. I personally run the group. I personally do the coaching. The masterminding is phenomenal. And we partner on a lot of deals. So if you're looking to kind of plug into an, an ecosystem and an organization that already exists, that's operating at a very high level, you can apply to be a member of the Forever Passive Income coaching, mastermind, and partnering, you can apply at joshcantwellcoaching.com. Okay, check that out. You'll be able to meet more members just like Stuart and a lot of the other members we've had on the podcast are in the group. And I think you get a lot out of rubbing elbows, rubbing shoulders with those kind of folks. All right. So thanks so much for being here. If you feel compelled, please open up your phone, leave us a rating and a review. Let us know how this interview went and send us any kind of questions that you have so we can answer them on the next podcast. We'll talk to you next time. Take care. 
You were just listening to the Accelerated Investor Podcast with Josh Cantwell. If you enjoyed this episode and learned something new, help us build the AI community by leaving a review and five-star rating on our iTunes podcast channel. Also, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss another episode. To see passive investing opportunities, visit freelandventures.com slash passive. To start your journey toward the lifestyle you've always dreamed of with multifamily apartments, apply for one-on-one -on -one coaching with Josh at www.joshcantwellcoaching.com.